Okay. And Kodesh is featured very prominently in Parshas Bereshis and Parshas Nech. And if I wanted to take the opportunity to discuss um, whether or not there is a mitzvah to speak on Lashon Kodesh, or perhaps uh, to be familiar with Lashon Kodesh, uh, and if there is, what is the nature uh, of that mitzvah? So the Pasuk tells us in Parshas Bereshis, that um, w- females are called Isha because she was uh, made, the first the female Chava was made out of the uh, tzela, out of the uh, rib of Aramarisha. And since she was uh, created from Ish, uh, she was described as Isha. And the Medrash infers that from the fact that uh, the name of uh, Chava was linguistically derived from the uh, Word ish in Lashon Hakodesh, and therefore she was called Isha Mikan Shenitna Torah B'Lashon Hakodesh. This implies that the Torah was given B'Lashon Hakodesh, and continues the Medrash that Nivra Ha'Elam B'Lashon Hakodesh that the world uh, was created in Lashon Hakodesh, and presumably as well, which would follow from that, is that Adam Harishan spoke Lashon Hakodesh because he calls his wife Chava Kihi Haisa Aim Kochai because she would be the mother of all uh, those who would follow. So again, from the fact that her name is linguistically derived from the Hebrew word Chaya, that would imply that Adam Arishan also uh, spoke Lashon HaKadosh. Who taught him Lashon HaKadosh? Uh, you know. So the Barbanel writes, and it's found in the Sefer Kuzari, that uh, this is the natural language of the world. It's something that just Adam Arishan uh, just acquired this knowledge, uh, Mimela, uh, just by being alive, and he wasn't uh, educated in any other language. This is the natural language of the world. As Lashon Hakodesh is uh, an issue uh, or an idea that maybe we'll get uh, we'll get back to uh, a little bit later. But the Abarbanel and I'm sorry, not the Kuzari, but Yonis and Ibshitz both say that uh, that uh, Lashon Hakodesh is a natural language of the world, and therefore Adam Arishan knew it uh, intuitively. Not only, okay, so the Adam Arishan spoke Lashon Hakodesh, the world was created Lashon Hakodesh, and that seemed to have been the spoken language. Um, at least uh, through that uh, period of history, until the Dor HaFlaga, when the Pasuk tells us, Everyone, this is in last week's parish, Parshish Noyach, when everyone was speaking one language and they were waging a rebellion against the Rebbeinu Shalom. What language were they speaking? So it's a machlaik, in the Talmud Yushalmi, Mesechtas Megillah. One opinion is they were speaking all 70 Lashonis. Everybody understood all 70 Lashonis. One opinion in the Gemara is that they were all speaking, and this is what's quoted by Rashi and Chumash, they were all speaking Lashon HaKadosh. Why were they all speaking Lashon HaKadosh? So the Torah Tamima explains that it's because Lashon HaKadosh was a diplomatic language. Everybody spoke it. You know, so even though you might have had your language from your specific region or geographic you know, location or country, which and there were 70 uh, Lashonites in that spectrum of, uh, of uh, number of languages, everybody spoke Lashon HaKadosh, and therefore that was the language of cooperation between nations. However, at the time of the Dor HaFlaga, the Rebbe Shalom scattered them throughout the world, and he confused all of their language, and it was at that time, uh, writes the Abar Benel, when uh, Lashon HaKadosh ceased to be uh, used as a diplomatic language amongst all nations, and it was lost to the majority of the world, but it was uh, perpetuated by the descendants of Noach, particularly the descendants of Shem, uh, and uh, particularly his uh, great-grandson, Aver, is the one who perpetuated Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. That's why in Parshish Lechacha, Avram Avinu is known as Avram HaIvri, Avram the Hebrew. So one opinion in the Medrash is he's known as Avram HaIvri because kol ha'olam kula me'ever echad v'hu me'ever echad. 
he took on the entire world in introducing monotheism to a polytheistic world. So he was willing to take on everybody. So everyone was on one side, and he was on the other, you know, of a divide. However, the other opinion of the Medrash is, over here is Gimel, he was me b'nei banav sholever, he was a descendant of Ever, and humasiach uh, ivri. he spoke um, in uh, Lashon HaKadosh, which was perpetuated by Ever. That's why it became known as Lashon Ivri, because Aver, the grandson of Shame, perpetuated Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. And perhaps that was the spoken language in all of Eretz Canaan. Because the other opinion of the Medrash is that Avram Avinu is called Avram Ivri because who may Aver HaNahar? He is from the other side of the water, of the Nahar. He's from Eretz Yisrael as opposed to the rest of civilization that was on the other side. Meaning all of Eretz Canaan that was Me'ever Hanar that spoke, um, spoke uh, this language, Lashon Ivri, that was perpetuated by Me'ever, namely Lashon HaKadosh. And this continued to be the spoken language at least of Avram's descendants, perhaps even of all of Eretz Canaan, uh, certainly until the times of, uh, of uh, Yosef when he uh, reveals himself to his brothers so the Pasuk tells in Parashas Vayigash, Ki pi hamedaber aleichem. How does he prove his identity? That he's uh, one of the children of Yaakov Avinu. He is who he say, claims to be, that he's Yosef. He, Rashi says he spoke with Lashon HaKadosh. They thought the whole time Yaakov, uh, Yosef couldn't understand what they were saying because they were talking amongst themselves in Lashon HaKadosh, even though there was a Menashe was serving as a translator. They thought Yosef himself couldn't understand. And then he showed them, he demonstrated he also spoke Lashon HaKadosh. So Rashi says that must have proved he was one of the descendants of Yaakov. So Rashi seems to have understood only the descendants of Yaakov spoke Lashon HaKadosh. However, the Ramban, look over here, he's Dalid, the Ramban writes that this was not necessarily conclusive proof he was the son of Yaakov Avinu. Ki aldati husfas kenan. The Lashon HaKadosh was being spoken throughout the land of Eretz Canaan. So it didn't prove conclusively he was the descendant of Yaakov Avinu, but at least it was circumstantial evidence I look, I must have come from Eretz Canaan, I'm not uh, native to Mitzrayim. Because in Egypt, they certainly weren't speaking it as a spoken language. They were speaking uh, other languages, Egyptian. So from the fact that he spoke Lashon HaKadosh, says it was, it was at least some, uh, you know, at least circumstantial evidence, there was some uh, indication that he wasn't from uh, Mitzrayim, and perhaps, therefore, he was who he claimed to be, he was the son of, uh, of uh, Yaakov Avinu. So according to the Ramban, it sounds like it was a spoken language throughout all of Eretz Canaan, at least according to Rashi, it sounds like it was uh, something that was uh, perpetuated only by the descendants of Avram and, and Yaakov Avinu. And this continued to be the spoken language. There are other indications from archaeology, it's not necessarily my field, but that uh, this was a spoken language at the time, beyond the descendants of uh, Yaakov Avinu uh, and, uh, and uh, Avram. However, this was clearly the spoken language by at least the descendants of Yaakov Avinu, perhaps all of Eretz Canaan, at least until the times of uh, when uh, Klal Yisrael descended into, uh, the children of Yaakov descended into uh, Mitzrayim, when, uh, and when they were at the time of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, when Moshe Rabbeinu approaches Paro, he says, uh, The Hashem of the Hebrews uh, has called us to go and serve Him in the Midbar. So they're still described as the Hebrews. Must be that they were still speaking Lashon HaKadosh. And as we know, one of the four reasons Klal Yisrael was redeemed from Mitzrayim is why? Shaloshinu Eshemam, they didn't change their name, their clothing, or as Eshemam, they didn't change their language. So clearly they were speaking Lashon HaKadosh at the time, at least according to Chazal, at the time of Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. And presumably that continued throughout their travels in the Midbar. They received the Torah. The Torah is, of course, the Lashon HaKadosh. They were continuing to speak Lashon HaKadosh. And it seems that this was a spoken language 
throughout the time of uh, settling uh, Eretz Yisrael and even through the time of the Bayez Rishon. However, the time of the Churban Bayez Rishon, um, the Psukim and Ezra Nehemiah indicate that at that point, Klaiso began to lose the familiarity and the knowledge uh, of Lashon HaKadosh became weaker. And the Rambam writes over here, Oiz Hei, in Parak Avon Pechasfi, Alocha Dawid, Kevin Shagoli Yisrael, Vimei Nebuchadnezzar, Roshan, Nisarbu, Beparas, Viyavan, they became confused in the lands of Persia. Vishara Umos, Vinodal, Hambanam, Baratis, Agoyim, Oiz, okay, Vaoiz and Abanim, their children there, Nisbabu, Usfasam, their language became confused. And they were know they were obviously had to speak in the vernacular to get along in Golas, and therefore their knowledge of Lashon HaKadosh became weaker. Look at the third line, makirim Yehudis, they no longer were able to speak the Jewish language of Lashon HaKadosh, Am, it wasn't a spoken language, and therefore it was at that time that Ezra uh, established a permanent Nusach HaTfila, as the head of the Anshik Nesach HaKadosh. Because until that time, it's preferable to daven, you can daven in other languages, but it's preferable to daven in Lashon HaKadosh, and people were forgetting how to formulate their tefillahs properly because they no longer were speaking Lashon HaKadosh. So Ezra instituted an official Nusach HaTfilah when uh, uh, their knowledge of Lashon HaKadosh became weaker and they were no longer using it as a spoken language and able to daven on their own. He composed a formal text uh, of tefillah. So it sounds like from the time of Korban Bayez Rishon, throughout the time of Bayez Sheni, when they were speaking not only uh, Lashon HaKadosh, Aramaic at that time became a spoken language, and towards the end of the Bayez Sheni, Greek, uh, also seems to the Chazal seem to have had a, a knowledge of Greek as well, and certain Greek words are creeping their way into the um, Mishnayis and the Gemara. So it sounds like the, these three languages were popular: Lashon Hakodesh, but not exclusively Lashon Hakodesh, Lashon Hakodesh, uh, Lashon Aramis, Aramaic, uh, as well as Greek. But as time progressed, uh, Lashon Hakodesh, uh, as a spoken language, almost uh, you know began to die out. When that happened. And, uh, Hard to really pinpoint, but it clearly was not a spoken language. At the you know after the some, some point after Purim Bayesheni, it ceased entirely to be a spoken language until recent history, in the 19th century and the 20th century, when it was revived by the, the early Zionists who believed that in order to be assured Jewish continuity, we needed to have a Jewish homeland and there had to be a, a Jewish uh, language. However. And that led to the revival that we know of today, that uh, Lashon HaKadosh is once again in our times a spoken language. However, that was not motivated by religious reasons. They were not motivated by any halachic imperative to revive Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. They were doing so, for, if, if anything, uh, to be, they were motivated to replace religious commitment with, uh, national, with patriotism and uh, nationalism. It wasn't uh, out of religious motivation or you know, to keep, you know, come, they felt that there was some halachic imperative to have Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. So it seems uh, from the, uh, from the uh, silence of the majority of uh, classical halachic works from the time of Korba Bayesheni, uh, you know, until modern history, no one ever advocated since the time that Lashon HaKadosh stopped being a spoken language, no one ever advocated, oh, you know, let's get together and revive Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. No one felt that that was halachically necessary. It doesn't appear in any halachic works uh, that there is an obligation to do so, to revive Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. And those who did so, did so for, for other motivations, not the religious motivations. So from the fact that there's no... Uh, no one said anything for decades and centuries 
um, it seems that there isn't a, an obligation to have Lashon HaKadosh be a spoken language. There were the individual tzaddikim who did try and speak in Lashon HaKadosh, the Shlach HaKadosh, the Rizal, early, uh, you know, the Gra, his, his Talmidim, you know, Yushalmi uh, Jews were known as, you know, so-and-so, Baal Lashon HaKadosh, that he only spoke in Lashon HaKadosh, but it was something that was reserved for individual uh, tzaddikim, not something that was ever embraced by the community as something, you know, an initiative that we have to get behind to revive Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. So it does not seem to be that there's any obligation uh, even though at one time, for many years, it was a spoken language, it doesn't. There's no uh, halachic obligation necessarily to have lashon uh, hakodesh be a conversational language. At the same time, so there's no obligation necessarily to speak in lashon hakodesh, but is there an obligation perhaps to know lashon hakodesh? So the Sefer comments in the pasuk in Parshas Ekev, You should teach your children to speak in it. So from here, the Sefer comments, obviously referring to Talmud Torah, the Mikan Amru Kishatinak Maska Ledaber, when a child begins to speak, Avim Medaber Ima Belashon HaKadosh. His father should speak with him in Lashon HaKadosh, Umelam Doi Torah, and teach him Torah. So it sounds like part of the, uh, you know, the beginning of the uh, curriculum, and the education of every child should begin with uh, a language class, you know, with uh, classes in Lashon HaKadosh, and then move on to Torah. However, when this uh, issue is addressed in the Talmud Bavli, the Gemara Masech the Sukkah, the Gemara omits any formal obligation to teach the child Lashon HaKadosh. The, the Gemara says, Once the child begins to learn how to speak, The father teaches him Torah and Kriyashma. So what is the Torah that's being referred to here? Torah Mai. The Pasuk that's how we should begin uh, the education of a child. No mention of an independent uh, you know, uh, step in the curriculum of uh, teaching them first Lashon HaKadosh. And similarly, when the Rambam brings this halacha in Hilchas Talmud Torah, he makes no mention of an obligation to teach the child uh, Lashon HaKadosh per se. The Rambam says, once the child begins to speak, and then the Rambam adds something which does not appear in the Gemara. You should teach him other psukim as well. But the Gemara omits, and the Rambam follows the Gemara, omits any formal obligation to teach the child Lashon HaKadosh. So many Mepharshim explain in that uh, what's transpiring here, this is found in uh, the Sefer Kolt Soifayach from Yehuda Gershuni, prolific Talmud Chacham, who was the um, uh, son-in-law of Blazes Silver, one of the most uh, prominent uh, early American Rabbonim. Um, and it's also found in the Chubas of the Bilsk Gadol and the Sharetzian. The Torah Tamim has a sefer called Safa Lenemanim, the language of believers. It also has a similar, uh, similar uh, idea. And that is that uh, they, they, they explain that learning Lashon HaKadosh is not a separate mitzvah. There's no, even the Sifrei held, learning Lashon HaKadosh was not an independent obligation that one has to be uh, you know, acquainted with Lashon HaKadosh. The reason why it's important to know Lashon HaKadosh is because it's a Hechsher Mitzvah. It allows one, enables one to engage in Talmud Torah. Talmud, the language of Talmud Torah is, despite the best efforts of our scroll, is still Lashon HaKadosh. So that is what most uh, works of Torah, the, the language of most works of Torah is found in Lashon HaKadosh, certainly the original ones, the, the Torah, uh, so on and so forth. So that's the language of Torah, is Lashon HaKadosh. So therefore, if you don't know Lashon HaKadosh, you cannot engage in a serious fashion, uh, be part of the community of Lom Dei Torah. 
unless you're familiar with Lashon HaKadosh. So the obligation to learn Lashon HaKadosh is not an independent imperative to be familiar with Lashon HaKadosh. It's rather in order to enable one uh, to learn Torah. And therefore, this, that's what the context in which it's found in. Vidibar Tabam. And they're speaking in Torah. So the Sifrei was of the opinion that in order to enable children to best be acquainted with Lashon HaKadosh, to enable them to learn Torah, uh, let's make it a separate stage of the curriculum before you ever begin. It's, it's, it's logical, you know, intuitive. Before you ever begin learning, let's make a separate uh, class in Lashon HaKadosh so they'll be familiar, they can hit the ground running and be familiar with Lashon HaKadosh when they begin learning Torah. And the Talmud Bavli rejected that, not fundamentally, but the Talmud Bavli felt perhaps the best way to go about learning Lashon HaKadosh is through immersion. Just start learning. And that's what the Ramah is not just Torah Tzivah Moshe. Ma'at ma'at psukim, and other psukim, and just by learning and being involved and immersed within the Limanat Torah, a person will acquire the knowledge, you know, the knowledge of the language necessary in order to enable him to learn further. But the obligation to learn Lashon HaKadosh is only in order to enable one uh, to engage in Talmud Torah. And perhaps this is... uh, um, this point is made most directly by the Talmud Yushalmi over here, Oistes, which uh, also has a similar uh, description of uh, the curriculum that one is supposed to use when a child first begins to speak. When the child begins to speak, you teach him Lashon Torah. It doesn't even refer to it as Lashon HaKadosh. The Holy Language is rather Lashon Torah, the language of the Torah. Because the obligation to learn Lashon HaKadosh is all predicated upon the fact that it enables one to learn Torah. It's not an independent obligation, but enables one to learn Torah. And that's what the Talmud Bavli and the Rambam uh, he, you know, covered, eclipsed it. They didn't view it as a separate stage of Chino. But you'll get it uh, with immersion uh, in Talmud Torah. You'll get it along the way. I believe this is what the Rambam means in his comments on the Mishnah Mesechlis Ovis. The Mishnah tells us in Mesechlis Ovis, you should be careful with uh, the light mitzvahs, the easy mitzvahs, unimportant mitzvahs, just as much as the uh, severe mitzvahs, the important mitzvahs. It's a continuation of the mitzvah. You, we don't know the reward for mitzvahs. We know the punishment for Averis, some are skila, some are malchus. But we don't know the reward for mitzvahs, which get more, which get less. So the Mishnah says, What is a mitzvah kala? How could you have a mitzvah? If, if all the mitzvahs are equal, how could you have an easy mitzvah, a hard mitzvah? What does this refer to? So the Rambam says, it's not that there's easy mitzvahs, light mitzvahs, or more uh, heavy mitzvahs. It's what people think. People dismiss it. Says the Rambam. Be careful with mitzvahs that people easily dismiss. What is a mitzvah that people easily dismiss? Kegoin. Simchas harego. And learning Lashon HaKadosh. So some have inferred from this Ramam, oh, you see, that it's a mitzvah to learn Lashon HaKadosh on par with being It's a full-fledged mitzvah. But I believe we have to dig a little bit deeper. One minute. Why do people dismiss these two mitzvahs? Simchas Haregel. If it is a bona fide mitzvah, why do people dismiss it? If it's the same as Lulav and Sukkah and Matzah and Shoifer, why do people dismiss it? And what does it have in common with Simchas Haregel? Why do, why do these two mitzvahs get the raw end of the stick? So I believe the answer is 
Because the Rambam writes in Hilchas Yontif, over here, Oisid Aleph, Perek Vav, Alochi Yedzayin, how does one fulfill the mitzvah midairaisa of Vesamachtu uh, Lefnei Hashem Aleikecha to be besimcha in Yontif? So the Rambam writes in the second line, Avo Pisha Simcha Murakan, he karbon shlomim. The way you fulfill the mitzvah is by eating the karbon ice in the Beis HaMikdosh. That's why Taisus writes Mesechus Maidkan and Dafyadawid, we don't have the mitzvah of Simcha anymore. Simcha nowadays on Yantaf is the Rabbanon. We eat meat, we drink wine, that's the Rabbanon. Because what's the real mitzvah of Simcha's Yantaf? Eating Karbanis. The Rambam, though, disagrees. The Rambam says, no, we continue to have a mitzvah of Simcha's Yantaf now. How do we fulfill it now? Everybody says, how do we fulfill it now? The Rambam continues, every person, whatever makes them happy. Look over here. The Rambam says, Ketzad, Hakatanim, Nosanim, Kloyas, Vegoizim, Magnonois. You give them toys. Hanoshim, Kainulahem, Begodim. The woman you buy them garments. Vanoshim, Lachem, Bosom, Vishoisinyan. Everybody what makes them happy. Men, steak and wine. Women, clothing, children, toys. Universal truths. This is what makes people happy. Axioms of life. So Rambam says, and you fulfill the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtuf midday raisa. Not like Tyson might cut and tell the Rabbanan. Midday raisa, we fulfill Simchas Yamtuf. The problem is, how could it be that we fulfill the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtuf with these items? I thought Simchas Yamtuf, the Rambam just told us. How do you have to fulfill it with karbonos in the Beis HaMikdash? So how could you switch the object of the mitzvah nowadays to other items and the mitzvah is still day raisa? Tyson's held the mitzvah is the Rabbanan because the object, we don't have it anymore. How could the Rambam hold the mitzvah's deraisa, but you change the object of what, uh, what the object of the mitzvah is now? So apparently the Rambam believes that the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtif is not limited to any specific item per se. Karbonos in the base HaMikdash, or bust of a yayin. It's whatever makes you happy, because the mitzvah is, of Simchas Yamtif, an emotional state of being satisfied in one's Avedis Hashem. That's the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtif. And you, how do you generate that experience and that emotional uh, state? Ideally, by eating carbonus in the base hamikdash. But in the absence of carbonus in the base hamikdash, you can substitute other triggers, other vehicles of creating that same emotional state, emotional experience of being similar on one of one's of the session. So for men, it'll be babasaviyain, with women with clothing, and with children with toys. But whatever creates that emotional state of being besimcha uh, in one's of Hashem. But what then uh, do you see, what emerges for the Ramam with regards to the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtiv? Is there a mitzvah per se to eat karbonos in the base Hamikdash in order to uh, fulfill the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtiv? There is, but the eating the karbonos is not the mitzvah, it's what it creates, the emotional uh, experience that it engenders, that it evokes. So then eating the karbonos itself, at least vis-a-vis the mitzvah of Simchas Red, there's a mitzvah always to eat karbonos independent mitzvah, but as vis-a-vis the mitzvah of Simchas Haregel is a hechsher mitzvah. It itself is not the mitzvah. Buying clothing is not the mitzvah. But buying toys is not the mitzvah. It's the, the fact that this is a hechsher mitzvah, this is a preparatory stage, which triggers a certain emotional experience, which is itself the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Simchas Yantif. So doing these activities of Simchas Yantif are a hechsher mitzvah, a preparatory stage, or uh, what is the, enables me to have that emotional experience of satisfaction in my avodah Hashem So at the same degree, that's why people dismiss it. That's why it's a mitzvah kala. People say, ah, that's not the mitzvah buying toys. 
buying dresses is not a mitzvah. And you're right, it's not like taking lulav, like eating matzah. That itself is the mitzvah, it's eating matzah. That itself is the mitzvah, it's taking lulav. Here, this is not the mitzvah, buying the toys and giving the dress to your wife. It's the emotional experience that it creates. And it evokes of being besimcha in one's avayus Hashem. So, so too, the mitzvah, speaking Lashon HaKadosh, is also a mitzvah kala, like simcha sarego. In what sense? In the sense that it's not the mitzvah, it's not an independent mitzvah to speak in Lashon HaKadosh, it's because in the speaking in Lashon HaKadosh is a extra mitzvah, enables me to engage in a fuller sense in the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. That's why it's considered a, a mitzvah kava. So I don't believe that the Ramam is telling us it's an independent mitzvah to speak in Lashon HaKadosh. It's rather a hechsher mitzvah preparatory stage in order to enable one to engage in Talmud Torah. And I believe that is why it is actually called Lashon HaKadosh in the first place. Why is it called the holy language? So the Rambam writes in the Mer Nebuchadnezzar it's called the holy language because it's a, a clean language. There's no foul words in Lashon HaKadosh. So the Shlach HaKadosh the Maral are unsatisfied with the Rambam's uh, approach because then there's nothing inherently special about Lashon HaKadosh. It just happens to be by coincidence that it has no uh, foul words. So uh, it happens to be a clean language. Uh, there's nothing inherently special about it. So therefore the Shlach HaKadosh, the Maral claim, no, but it's called Lashon HaKadosh because it's different than all other languages. It's inherently special. What's special about this language? All other languages, they say, describe things superficially. A table, chair, it's not the essence of the item, it's superficial descriptions that we use in order to understand what we're all talking about. However, Lashon HaKadosh drives the essence of an item. It goes right to the heart of what it is, what its true mahus is. In fact, in Lashon HaKadosh, how do you, uh, what's the word that's used to describe when someone speaks? Sometimes it's Amar, sometimes it's Diber. Diber. How do you say an object, a thing, in Lashon HaKadosh also? Davar. Why is it the same word? Because when you're medaber, you describe the essence of the davar, of the item. It goes right to the heart of what it is. The Shalah HaKadosh says that's why there was the greatness of Adam HaRishin, is that at the beginning of creation, all the animals lined up and he gave them all names. Anybody could give them names. Any child in the world could give, uh, you know, line up animals and let's give them all names. Boo-boo, you know, the fluffy, the sparkly. We could give them all names. What's the greatness of giving them names? So the Shlach Kodesh explains that other Marisha knew how to hone in on their essence of the animal, give them a name in Lashon HaKodesh that described the mahus of the animal. And that's what's unique about Lashon HaKodesh. That's the, the approach of the Shlach Kodesh, similar thing found in Maral. The Ramban, though, in the comments from Parashas Kisisa, disagrees. The Ramban writes, it's called Lashon HaKodesh, over here, Oisid Beis, Mibnei Shehu, Shehu Mibnei, Shedivrei HaTayra V'Navuos V'chol Divrei Kedusha Kulom B'Lashon Ahu Namru. Because the Torah was given in that language. That's why it's considered to be Lashon HaKadosh. It's the natural language of the Torah. The jargon of Torah is Lashon HaKadosh. That's the uh, native language of Torah is Lashon HaKadosh. Uh, and that's why it's Kadosh. That's why it's holy. Is by virtue of the fact that the Torah was given in that language. So much so that there's a Gemara Masech this brachas has a machlai because over here I see Gimel was Kala Torah Kula B'chol Lashon Nemra or B'lashon HaKadosh Nemra was the entirety of Torah said in every language meaning when the Rebbe Nishalolam said the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu to Klal Yisrael did it, uh, was it immediately uh, translated into Kol Lashon or did it only was it only taught in Lashon HaKadosh why would it be taught by Kol Lashon because there were Gerim there who didn't speak Lashon HaKadosh so maybe we should have you know like a translator 
or you know, in order to make sure everybody understood what was said, was there a translator at the time that the Torah was given? You know, the translating for the people when I guess the earphones, like the United Nations, for people who didn't understand, or was it only said in Lashon Hakodesh? And one opinion is it was only said in Lashon Hakodesh. One opinion is it was said B'Kol Lashon. Why? And so the Shidim Mekubetz is right over there. According to the opinion that it had to be said in Lashon Hakodesh, why did it have to be said in Lashon Hakodesh? So Shidim Mekubetz explains because that opinion the Gemara feels you cannot be Yotze Talmud Torah in another language. If you learn Torah in English, you're not Yotze Talmud Torah. There was such an opinion in the Gemara. Why? Why is Limit Atayra restricted to Lashon HaKadosh? And I would suggest that perhaps it's because since this is the native language of Taira, this is the language which Taira was given, it's the language in which Taira concepts um, and values are expressed most accurately and precisely. You do it in another language, and things are lost in translation, inaccuracies develop. But if it's uh, in the same language in which it was given, then you know it's being transmitted properly. So that's why one opinion the Gemara held, or at least the Shittim Kupetz, is that you could only be Yaitse Limit Torah in Lashon HaKadosh. That's the language of the Torah, yeah. We don't pask in this way. This is just to highlight the point. And that is that the reason perhaps why, we don't go this far, but that extreme just highlights perhaps why we call it at least Lashon HaKadosh, because that's the language, the native language, uh, the natural language of the Torah. And that is why Lashon HaKadosh is endowed with a certain level of holiness. It's described as the Lashon HaKadosh, because by virtue of the fact that the Torah was originally given in that language. The Shulchan Aruch tells us over here in Simon Pei Hei um, that one is allowed to speak uh, mundane matters, in Lashon HaKadosh, while he's in uh, the base HaMerachat, so the base HaKisei. You're allowed to use Dvarim Shachol Mutal Amam Sham B'Lashon HaKadosh. However, the Magen Avram quotes Amidus Chasidus Hula Hachmer. You're not supposed to speak in the base HaKisei at all, but presumably in the base HaMerachat. Okay, so you're in the Schwitz, there's Amidus Chasidus, not to speak even mundane matters in Lashon HaKadosh. Sam Sefer actually writes in his comments over there in Shulchan Aruch, that's why Lashon HaKadosh was abandoned as a spoken language during our period of time in Golos. Because he said in Golos we were surrounded by Avodah Zarah, always by things that are unclean. And it's not proper to speak Lashon HaKadosh in that kind of environment, and therefore they abandoned Lashon HaKadosh as a spoken language. That's what Sam Sefer writes. Because we're in a place that's Mole Galulim. However, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes over here, Ois Tezvav and Nesheilas Yaivetz, he has a suffix about this. Is one allowed to uh, um, um, uh, talk divrei chulin, mundane matters, in Lashon HaKadosh in the Beis HaKisei? So he says, even though in the Shulchan Aruch it says that it's allowed, he thinks that's only when Lashon HaKadosh is your spoken language. See, because when Lashon HaKadosh is your spoken language, that's your vernacular, is Lashon HaKadosh, so then Lashon HaKadosh doesn't evoke thoughts of Talmud Torah when I speak it. Because I use it for everything. So he says, of course, when Lashon HaKadosh was a spoken language when they entered into Eretz of course they used it for mundane matters. And they even used it in the Beis HaMerchatz. What else are you going to use? That was the only language that they had. Of course they used it in the Beis HaMerchatz. But he says, for us now, that it's no longer a spoken language, the only time we use Lashon HaKadosh is for Dvarim Shebekdusha, Talmud Torah, Tefillah. So if we start speaking in Lashon HaKadosh, I'm going to use a word, I'm going to think, oh, that's a Pasuk in Tehillim. I'm going to use a different word, I'm going to think, oh, that's from Davening. And every time I'm going to use Lashon HaKadosh, even if it's for mundane matters, where am I going to get my Lashon HaKadosh from? From my Dvarim Shebekdusha, from the Tanakh, 
from whatever sources I'm using as my uh, you know basis for knowledge of Lashon Hakodesh. So it's going to evoke thoughts of Talmud Torah in the base Hakisa base Hamerachatz, and that's why he says for those of us who it's not a spoken language. It's uh, improper. Uh, that's why perhaps there's a midas chasidus not to use lashon hakodesh even for mundane matters of the base hamerachas because for us it evokes thoughts uh, of Talmud Torah. Yeah. So that wouldn't apply because it's a, more, it's a spoken language again. Like, what, like if you're I don't think Israelis need to be careful to speak mundane matters and lashon hakodesh in the base hamerachas, and I don't think they they are. Right. No. I'm saying it's like, like the, we wouldn't apply that today. Like understanding back then, where when Hebrew wasn't a spoken language, like I can see why that would apply, but now. For those who it's a spoken who speak that language, oh, so, like, so for us, like for for people who speak, let's say you know, primarily English or a different language, would they be able to speak, you know, let's say Hebrew in the bathroom or? Yeah, if you get into a taxi and you're speaking biblical Hebrew to the taxi driver, so then you can't. I mean, then every time you're going to speak in Divrei Chol in mundane matters and Beis Hakisa, you're going to be thinking of well, well, what pasuk am I getting this from? So, but you're right. If it's a conversational language for you, then I don't think that the, the midas chasidus, uh, you know, would would apply. And I don't think that, is, by and large, that is practiced. I don't think people are careful not to speak. Um, I could be speaking out of turn, but I don't think people are careful not to speak mundane matters and lashon hakodesh in the base Americas and the base Akise. I believe that this is why, uh, since the lashon hakodesh, then again, is described as the holy language because it is the language in which the Torah was given, and that's why it has a certain holiness attached to it, because by speaking Lashon HaKadosh, we think about the words uh, of, uh, of Torah. Perhaps for that reason as well, the Rambam writes in the Parish HaMishnayis, in Masechus Ovis, if a person speaks Lashon Hara in Lashon HaKadosh, it's a more egregious Avera. Why? The answer is, because where is your knowledge of Lashon HaKadosh coming from? Torah. So as I'm thinking about Psukim of Torah, I'm speaking Lashon Hara. I'm using Torah to, for the purpose of the Lashon Hara. It's like a mitzvah, but it's terrible. That's a, a highly, you know, highly offensive to the Torah. Not only am I doing the independent Avera of Lashon Hara, I'm taking my knowledge of Torah and using it for evil purposes for the Avera of Lashon Hara. Or the Ramah says in uh, Hilkos Shabbos, one is not supposed to read Sipure Mochamas on Shabbos. You're not supposed to read uh, innocuous stories on Shabbos. Shabbos is for other things. You have to be reading... Uh, other reading material on Shabbos. Even if it's not objectionable, to be read it on Shabbos is, uh, is really not allowed. Kriya, Shtari, Adyotos, and such. However, the Ramah says, if it's Belashon HaKadosh, then it's allowed. Why, if it's Belashon HaKadosh, is it allowed? I believe that the answer is, because when you speak Lashon HaKadosh, that arouses Machshavis of Talmud Torah. Where is it coming from? So at least you're involved somewhat in Talmud Torah. And that's why it's allowed. That's why you're not supposed to read these Sipur Mokhamas on Shabbos. Shabbos is a day that's meant for Talmud Torah. And you're using it for Sipur Mokhamas. So at least if you speak in Lashon HaKadosh, you're using it to somewhat for Talmud. You engage somewhat in Talmud Torah because this is the language of Torah and presumably arouses Mashavis of, uh, of, uh, of Torah or could perhaps lead a person uh, to, to leave it out Torah. I believe that this is what the Yushalmi means. In the Shabbos over here, Ois Tezayin, when the Yushalmi tells us, "Call me who kavua be'eretz Yisrael." Anybody who lives in Eretz Yisrael, va'oich chulin b'tahara, he eats chulin without becoming tamei umedaber b'lashon hakodesh muftach leishu mechayol emaba. He's assured that he's a ben oylem aba. Does that mean anybody who speaks in lashon hakodesh is guaranteed to be a ben oylem aba? And why should that be? So I believe that what the Yushalmi means here again. It's a euphemism, speaking Lashon HaKadosh is a euphemism for learning Torah. Because Lashon HaKadosh is only holy by virtue of the fact that it's the language in which the Torah was given. 
So if you're speaking Lashon HaKadosh, what are you doing when you're speaking Lashon HaKadosh? Reading the newspaper? No, you are learning Torah. That's what Yushalmi means. Because we find throughout Shas, who is guaranteed or sure to be a Ben Olam Abba? The Tamil Babli has in many places. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, you walk for Amos in Eretz Yisrael, Muftech Laishu Ben Olam Abba. So that's what's reflected here. And we also find, Anybody who learns Torah every day is assured that he's a Ben Adam Abba. So I believe when Yushalmi says, it is referring to a person, what is he doing when he's speaking Lashon HaKadosh? Not conversational Hebrew and handling, haggling, you know, over a uh, memento in, uh, in the Shuk. What he is doing is learning Torah. And that's why he is Muftech Shuhu Ben Adam Abba. One minute. If Lashon HaKadosh is uh, the holy language, because, and there's a mitzvah to be familiar with Lashon HaKadosh, because it's a hechshah mitzvah, not an independent mitzvah, but in order to open the doors uh, of Talmud Torah, and we said that's why it's a holy language, this is the native language, the native tongue of Torah, the original language in which the Torah was given, and therefore the concepts of the Torah are expressed most accurately and precisely. And Lashon HaKadosh, why is the Gemara written in Aramis? Why is it written in Aramaic? It's to be written in Lashon HaKadosh. So the truth of the matter is, Aramaic and Lashon HaKadosh are not that uh, uh, different from one another. The Medrash tells us, Parashas Vayetzei, Alti Lashon HaRamis Kalabeinecha. That one should not dismiss Lashon HaRamis. Shematzinu Batera V'nevim V'ksuvim Shachadosh Baruch Hu Chalak L'Kavan. There are words in Chumash, Nevim, and Ksuvim that are derived from Aramaic. Where do we have a word in Aramaic that's found in the Chumash? It's in Parashas Vayetzei. When Yaakov Avinu makes a uh, covenant with uh, Lavan, uh, Lavan says that he calls the place Yagar Sahadusa, which is the language of uh, Aramaic, and Yaakov calls it Gal Eid. So you see, Aramaic is found in the Torah. The truth of the matter is, this is a fantastic idea. Uh, it's a, uh, hard to believe, but we say in the Mikra Bikurim, we say it in the, ta- in the Haggadah, Arami Oyvedovi. The Aramean wanted to destroy my father. So it's generally understood that Ziyad's love on him. He wanted to kill Yaakov Avinu. The problem is we never find in the text of the Chumash that he wanted to, he was plotting to kill Yaakov. What does it mean? Arami Oymedavi. One of the classic questions from the Leo Haseda. There are many different answers. However, the Rebbe Reb Heshel in his Sefer Chanukas HaTorah was the Rav in Krakow in the 1600s. So the Sefer Chanukas HaTorah he suggests what it means is Arami Aramis Yaakov Avinu allowed two Aramaic words to creep into the Torah. So Arami, the Aramaic that Yaakov allowed into the Torah, Oyvei That's what led to Yaakov's downfall, and we had to go into Mitzrayim because he allowed two Aramaic words to creep into the Torah. What Aramaic words? Yigar Sahadusa. The problem is that Siparno says that's why Yaakov called it Gal Eid. He said, Love and called it Yigar Sahadusa. He spoke in Aramaic. Yaakov wanted to speak in Lashon HaKadosh, so he called it Gal Eid. Either way, the Medrash says, that uh, two Aramaic words crept into the uh, Torah and the Rabbanu Shalom allowed them to be there. So it must be Aramaic has some uh, great significance. And in fact, it could be it's closely linked to the reason why it's found in the Torah is because it's closely linked with Lashon HaKadosh. The Ramah, uh, I'm sorry, the Shulchan Aruch in Hilchas Gitin writes that uh, tells us from the Rambam, one is not allowed to have, you can write a get in whatever Lashon you want, whatever language you want, but it can't be, you have to pick a language. It can't be half in lang- one language, half in the other language. Okay? Fair distinction. However, our Gitin, yeah? 
Our Gein are half in Hebrew, half in Lashon HaKadosh, half in Aramaic. So Ramah was bothered by that. How, how do we justify that? So Ramah gives a few explanations for it. So he quotes in his Chuvis, he doesn't quote this in the Ramah, in his uh, comments on Shulchan Aruch, but he quotes in his Chuvis a correspondence that he had with his cousin, Shmuel Katzenelobogen, that uh, Shmuel Katzenelobogen argued, it's because Lashon HaKadosh and Aramis are the same language. They're both, Aramis is derived from Lashon HaKadosh, or perhaps they're both derived from some uh, proto-Hebrew language. But either way, they both come from similar ancestry. Either way, Aramis, he claims, is one language all together with Lashon HaKadosh. So that's why they could both be found in the same star and the same get, because they're really the same language. Aramis developed, you know, in a little bit differently, but it's really, it really comes from similar origins to Lashon HaKadosh. It's an offshoot of Lashon HaKadosh. The Ramah is not willing to accept that, but the Ramah does write, he uh, argues, the Ramah says it's not the same language, but they share a common, uh, a common uh, characteristic, that they're both uh, similar to one another, and that they're both found in the Torah. He says, at the end of here of Oisches, if a get is found half in Lashon Aram, it's half in Lashon Akadish, it's kosher. The Shneim Nitnu Besinai, Vayukraven Belashon. They were both given at Maimon Ar Sinai because there are two words found in the Torah that are Aramis. You gotta still do so. So you see, Aramis and Lashon Akadish at least are related to one another in the fact that they're both found in the Torah, which means Lashon Aramis is somewhat of a Lashon Akadish. It's found already in the Torah. But the relationship goes even further, yeah? So. Why, why can't we just say that, like, you know, the reason the Gemara was written here is because that was, like, the common language at the time. Otherwise, people wouldn't be able to, like, learn it at all. Like, well, correct. Uh, for sure. Meaning, so we're, I guess, adding on an extra layer that... Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not lobbying against translations. I'm just saying, how could it be that it, if Vashon HaKadosh is, is the language of Torah, that's why it's the holy language. Yeah, but... I would say the language of Torah now in most yeshivas is Aramis. It's not Hebrew. Lashon HaKadosh is not going to help you so much. The answer is Lashon Aramis is very related to Lashon HaKadosh. It might even be part of Lashon HaKadosh. So that just, just I mean, how can we continue to call Lashon If Lashon HaKadosh is Kaddish because of the Torah that it enables you to learn, can we really say that anymore? Maybe it's Lashon Aramis. The answer is Lashon Aramis is part of the general heading of Lashon HaKadosh. In fact, the Gemara tells him in the Shabbos that a person is allowed to daven in any language he wants, but the, the Gemara says, the Rush quotes it over here, Never ask for bakashas in Aramis. We have Kaddishes in uh, Aramaic. Brich uh, Shemay is in Aramaic. Part of the in Aramaic. However, you're not supposed to ask for things that you need in Aramaic. Because the Malachi Asharis, the Gemara explains, don't understand Aramaic. The Malachi Asharis who presented Tfilas to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they don't answer tefillahs, we don't daven to them, but they bring the tefillahs to Hashem. They don't understand Lashon Aramis. They hear Lashon Aramis, they're not bringing it to the Rebbe Nishalev. So the Rush is bothered, that's the Gemara and Shabbos, and Dafyud Beis Mebeis. So the Rush is bothered, why don't they understand Aramis? Gavalt, you can daven whatever language you want. French, Spanish, English, whatever it is. Chinese, they, uh, they got it all. You can daven whatever language you want. Aramis? They can't understand Aramis? Say, well, why Aramis? So the Rush says, because it's a Lashon Zem Meguno Beinayem. It's distasteful. Ech, Aramis. Why is it such a, uh, 
Mavuzadika language, why is it uh, so uh, inferior of a language? So the Madana Yantif on the bottom of the Rosh explains, he says, because it's the dark side of Lashon HaKadosh. It's really related to Lashon HaKadosh, it's a sister language. He says, but it's a Lashon, he says, It's, it's, it's part of Lashon HaKadosh, it's a corollary to Lashon HaKadosh. However, it is the Lashon HaKadosh that was meant for mundane matters. Look over here, the Gemara tells him, Sethel Sanhedrin, look back, Oisi Zion. Adam Arishan also spoke not only Lashon HaKadosh, which is where we began. He called his wife Chava, he spoke Lashon HaKadosh. Not only did he speak Lashon HaKadosh, he spoke Aramis. He spoke Aramaic already at the time of Adam Arishan. Because Chazal had a tradition that Adam Arishan composed one of the Pirkei Tehillim. And in that Perk of Tehillim, the Pasuk says, V'li ma yikru re'echa keo. That your friends are precious to me. That's what Adam Arishan says to Rebbein Shalom. V'li to me, ma'yikru re'echakel. Your friends, meaning the Rebbein Shalom's friends are precious to me. But the word yakar, meaning uh, precious or important or dignified, is an Aramaic word. That's not a word of Lashon HaKadosh. How did that creep into uh, Tehillim? And not only in Tehillim, into the uh, language of Adam Arishan. There'd be a tradition, this paragraph of Tehillim was composed by Adam Arishan. Must be Adam Arishan spoke Aramaic. What do you mean Adam Arishan spoke Aramaic? I thought we just said Adam Arishan spoke Lashon HaKadosh. Which did he speak? The Sefer Kuzari writes that he spoke both. He spoke both Aramaic and Lashon HaKadosh. For holy matters, he used Lashon HaKadosh. For mundane matters, he used Lashon HaRamis. Why do you need two languages for different areas? Because we want to be Mavdil, Ben Kadosh Lachel. We in our lives, unfortunately, blur the line sometimes between what is Kaidish and what is Chel. But Yushalmi says, Masech Lizbrach is a startling statement over here, Aisir Ches. Rishim Bayochai says, If I would have been at Maimed Arsinai, I would have asked the Rebbein Shalalim for two mouths. One mouth to speak. The Yasu the Baranoshi trained Pumen. Chan da Havilei Bu'araisa, Vachad da Havilei Kotzarke. One that I could speak in Torah, one mouth for Divrei Chel. So Adam Arishan fulfilled that by using two different languages, one for Chel, one for Kaidesh. Why did he speak these two languages? Because both of them are related. Lashon Aramis is a Lashon Kaidesh. It's part of Lashon Kaidesh. But it's the same, you know, the sister language, Karlang. They might even be the same language, according to Shmuel Katzenel Bogan, the Ramah held the related, but not the same language. Either way, uh, it's perhaps a Lashon Kaidesh and Ishtabesh. It's part, really, of the heading of Lashon HaKadosh. So therefore, it's not surprising that uh, the, the Torah became, you know, the, the Talmud Bavli is written in Lashon Aramis because that's also part, really, of the larger heading of Lashon HaKadosh. Includes not only formally uh, Hebrew, but it includes also Biblical Lashon HaKadosh, but it includes Lashon Aramis as well, and that was always included under the heading uh, of Lashon HaKadosh. With this extent, okay, so you have to learn, we said, uh, learn Lashon HaKadosh. Only, no, that's an independent uh, endeavor, or as an independent obligation, but rather the Heksha Mitzvah, you know, never appears in Shulchan Aruch. It's obvious, and it's true in our times, in order to engage uh, fully as a member of the community of uh, advanced uh, studies, one has to, in Talmud Torah, which is the obligation to come upon every person, every, uh, every uh, 
male member of the Jewish community he has to engage in the highest levels of Talmud Torah, no Kol Tarakula. In order to do that, you have to be familiar with Lashon HaKadosh. You can use some things in translation, but at some point you're going to hit a brick wall. And you have to be familiar with Lashon HaKadosh. And maybe included in that is Lashon HaRamis. In order to engage fully in the enterprise of Talmud Torah. Is modern Hebrew considered to be the, uh, you know, the heir uh, of Lashon HaKadosh? So when... Uh, uh, Lashon HaKadosh was revived as a spoken language in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century by the early Zionists. So uh, again, as we said earlier, they did so uh, you know, explicitly uh, uh, for non-religious or perhaps even anti-religious uh, reasons and motivations. They were attempting to replace, uh, again, religious commitment with nationalism and patriotism and uh, these kinds of uh, notions. So because that was their motivation, at least within some camps, the religious Zionist movement didn't react in this way, but within some camps, there was a visceral reaction of opposition because they were being motivated by uh, anti-religious or certainly non-religious uh, uh, agenda, and therefore they reacted viscerally in the other direction. There was severe opposition to even speaking in Lashon HaKadosh, um, and certainly in, in, uh, in modern Hebrew. However, that issue is no longer a flashpoint between uh, religious Jews and non-religious Jews as we have other flashpoints now. It's not, uh, the language war is, is, clearly, uh, is clearly over. It's not, uh, at least see the community continues to, you know, to, to, to carry that banner, but for the most part, uh, this is not a divide anymore between uh, relig- religious uh, Jews and non-religious Jews. Um, so, but is modern Hebrew uh, the heir of, uh, can they, are they considered to be the Lashon, uh, Lashon HaKadosh? So one of the issues that was raised in the opposition, initial opposition to, to the uh, revival of Lashon HaKadosh, the spoken language, was that in order to do so, Ben Yehuda had to gather um, uh, a convention and expand the vocabulary, because they just didn't have a vocabulary to deal with all the modern things that we have in the world. So they added new words. Um, so many, uh, some, many felt that that already, that kind of deviation uh, invalidated it, disqualified it from being uh, described as Lashon HaKadosh. In fact, some Sefer writes in his comments on Parshas Noyach, way before any of this, some Sefer writes that uh, even though in other languages they evolve and develop over time and add uh, words and vocabulary to deal with new uh, circumstances, he says Lashon HaKadosh is static, whatever was in the Tanakh, as Lashon HaKadosh, he says, even Mishnaic Hebrew, which is uh, somewhat different from uh, Biblical Hebrew, is not Lashon HaKadosh. That's what the Chassam Sefer writes. Even if it's introduced by Chazal, uh, not Lashon HaKadosh. Lashon HaKadosh is limited to the language that the Rebbe Shalom spoke to us in the Torah of Yisrael. However, that's not generally assumed to be the case. The uh, fact the Gemara says, over here, Masech Tzvedezar, Lashon Torah Luchud, Lashon Chachamim Luchud. That they're both Lashon HaKadosh, that the Biblical Hebrew is one thing. Mishnaic Hebrew was somewhat different. They expanded the vocabulary clearly. They included words from other languages, Greek and other things. Apotiki, Apotropis, Gematria, all these words are not... Uh, you know, they, they expanded the vocabulary as they saw necessary. And it evolved, uh, certainly evolved over time. And the Rambam writes in his parish of Mishnah, that that's the nature of languages. And don't be shocked. He says if certain rules of grammar or certain vocabulary changes, that's how languages work, is they evolve over time. And even though here we uh, arranged a convention 
it didn't evolve organically. They made a convention to deliberately expand uh, the vocabulary, but still, we're doing so in order to revive it as a spoken language. I think one could legitimately make the argument that this is the proper evolution of uh, Lashon HaKadosh and not be disqualified because they expanded the vocabulary or evolved certain uh, rules of, uh, of speech. At the same time, even though one could make that argument that it's the organic evolution of languages and languages over, evolve over time, just like Mishnaic Hebrew is different than Biblical Hebrew, a modern Hebrew can be different than Mishnaic Hebrew. However, we explain that what is the importance, what is the significance of Lashon HaKadosh in the first place? Is why, Rabbi Yisrael, because it is the language which allows one, uh, enables one, uh, to engage fully in the enterprise of Talmud Torah. That's what's called Lashon HaKadosh. That's where the holiness is derived from. And the fact that it's the language, the native language in which the Torah was given, and continues to be the language of the Kaisle Beis HaMedrish. So if that's the significance of Lashon HaKadosh, then I don't think it has to necessarily do with conversational Hebrew. Being able to hire a taxi and negotiate a fare is not included in Lashon HaKadosh. Lashon HaKadosh would probably be limited to Rabbinic Hebrew of today which has evolved from Mishnaic Hebrew, but it's certainly not the modern Hebrew, a conversational Hebrew in Eretz Yisrael. The mantle of Lashon HaKadosh probably less not with conversational Hebrew, but with uh, Rabbinic Hebrew and the rules of Rabbinic Hebrew, which is very different than the rules of conversational Hebrew. So I believe that's where Lashon HaKadosh would rest, and it might even include other languages over time that were used for Talmud Torah. Yiddish, if it was used for Talmud Torah at a certain point in time, would be, I don't know if it's, you know, still as certainly pockets today, but I don't know if it's as prolific as it was at one time, but certainly if in order to go to a shir, you had to know Yiddish, so then that would, again, be part of the obligation to familiarize yourself with that language in order to engage in the enterprise of Talmud Torah. But for the most part, it would be limited in our time uh, to, rabbinic, uh, to rabbinic Hebrew. If one wants to familiarize themselves with um, Conversational Hebrew, I'm not discouraging you. I think it's wonderful, and it, it certainly as a hefshe mitzvah of moving to Eretz Yisrael, also has a tremendous significance. But in being described, the mantle, the heir of Lashon HaKadosh, is probably has to do with its relationship to Talmud Torah, would be rabbinic Hebrew, not necessarily um, rabbinic Hebrew and Aramaic, not necessarily conventional Hebrew. That's why even those who want to, let's say, engage in uh, Ivrit Bivrit, which is uh, teaching holy matters in, uh, you know, um, Talmud Torah and Lashon HaKadosh, many see that as an educational ideal. So this issue was already debated decades ago, but Rabbi Henkin writes in his Shuvas, and I think it's a compelling argument, that to do so as a, you know, for, uh, for reasons of motivating people to move to Eretz Yisrael is fine, but if, you're gonna, if that's going to come at the expense of knowledge of Torah, a kid is sitting in a class, the teacher's talking in Lashon HaKadosh, and they don't understand Lashon HaKadosh, not only are they not getting the, the Lashon HaKadosh, they're not understanding the Torah that's being taught. So then that's, uh, that's, uh, that, that misses the whole point. The whole point of Lashon HaKadosh is to be able to understand the Torah and be involved in the enterprise and the institution of Talmud Torah at its highest level. So if by teaching in Lashon HaKadosh you're going to sacrifice knowledge of Torah, so then that's uh, counterproductive. It's certainly not the, the proper uh, added, you know, position to take educationally. If anything, we want to maximize Talmud Torah, not minimize Talmud Torah. So yes, we have to, the children have to be familiar with Lashon HaKadosh, but in order to facilitate Talmud Torah, so their knowledge of Lashon HaKadosh should never come at the expense of, uh, of Talmud Torah. But let me just add one final note 
Rabbi say, and that is that all of our lashon should always be lashon akaidish. If anything, we should uh, we should we should leave with. Uh, with uh, emboldened and inspired that our the way we speak in general, whether we're speaking in Lashon Hakodesh formally or not, our Lashon should always be uh, Lashon should always be Lashon Hakodesh. The outside of the body, the skin, has one uh, color to it, and the inside flesh of the body is a different color. It's uh, red. Inside of the body, red. flesh is red. There's one part of the body where you see the color of flesh. How do we know what the color of flesh looks like? Obviously, you see a cut. But there's one part of the body we always see what the color of flesh is. Where is that? The lips. And the one side is the color of your skin, the other side is the color of the flesh inside your body. So Ramesha Shapiro said a, a very powerful idea. He said, because it's from the way a person speaks, you see what's inside. You see who a person really is. You're revealing who you are. So we have to be careful uh, how we speak, because uh, the way we speak uh, reveals who we really are on the insides. And of course, we want to, in order to facilitate the fact that our Kedusha that we have inside of us comes out, we have to make sure to always speak uh, in, a, in a fashion that can, could be described as a Lashon HaKadosh. Okay.